standing up in McKinney, this is According to Kells, episode 594, coming to you on the first day of March, the year of our Lord, 2024, and it's Friday. We have a five for Friday planned for today. However, I had forwarded to me a email, and I would like to take some time to go through some of the points brought up in the email, but we will do that last. So I'm going to ask you to stick around. I'm hoping to not go terribly late, but I will abbreviate the uh, points on the five for Friday so that I can uh, address this email because it's important. You know, honestly, everything in election cycle is important to a degree, which is honestly what this five for Friday is about. So let me get to the intro before we get to the show. As I tell you every time, well, maybe not every time. It is important to share and follow this program. The share and the following of the show is what builds our numbers. Building our numbers helps overcome the algorithms. Overcoming the algorithms gives me a better, more accurate understanding of how far and wide the show is going. I am not, uh, you know, I'm not doing this for the purpose of making money. I'm doing this because I think this is valuable information. It's useful to consider what do you think and why do you think that and to give you, I guess what I would put a positive spin on the oh so negative news that we seem to get on a daily basis. And I, and I gotta be honest, it's, it's not always easy to be positive, but if you're going to always be negative, you're never going to be happy. So if you should Follow the podcast, go to your favorite podcatcher and do so. Join me on the social media of your choice. I have a page and a group on Facebook and I drop in over on Gab and MeWe. And I I guess I'll be having to upgrade to Gab Pro here really quick. And I got to tell you, I've been pretty impressed with what they're doing over at Gab. So if you're not there, you might want to check it out. They are the platform that allows for the most free speech. Now, unfortunately, that means, yeah, you got people that are quote unquote icky, but If you believe in those things, i.e. free speech, this is where it can be done. Uh, Again, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that because I'm getting any money. I'm just observations, observations. And for the time being, the program is still available on YouTube until Google decides that I need to be erased, which apparently they've done to our founding fathers. (laughs) Go figure. So as they say, on with the show. Okay, it is the last day of early voting for the election cycle, the primary of 2024. And though I am not a brilliant political strategist by most people's measure, I said from the onset, I didn't see the wisdom on the massive spread load we put upon ourselves. But here we are. So I'm very concerned that we have a number of races that were being run for naught, which is to say the incumbents are going to crush their competition and they're going to become even more emboldened to continue to ignore the very things that we sent them there to do in the first place. And they will reject any conversation from the grassroots. The corollary is, of course, they're pretty much already doing that, but we don't want them to see the grassroots as the enemy, but perhaps just keep us as the annoyance that they perceive us as right now, because that's clearly the way they act. But that ship sailed folks. 
And it is my sincere hope that we win one, perhaps two, or at least get a runoff somewhere out of these races. But Collin County's tricky, right? We have a we have a cadre of uber hardcore conservatives that drive most of the policy and most of the issues. And I would consider myself among them. In fact, I would say most of the executive committee probably falls into that as well. But a good number of those folks seem to forget that one, the demographics in Collin County have radically changed in the last 10 years. And two, that just because most people will go along with us on most things doesn't mean that we're not going to lose people along the way. And as the demographic shift has changed and our majority becomes thinner and thinner, we have to be a little more careful, a little more thoughtful about how we do things. And again, perhaps running everybody in every primary was not the best choice. All right. Item number two, right? So number one was races for naught. Number two, the end Of Wow, hold on a second here. Can't even read my... I'm sorry. (laughs) The end of the circular firing squad. Yes, boy. (laughs) Getting lost in your thoughts when you're talking live is not a good thing. (laughs) Okay, so I've talked multiple times about this idea of a circular firing squad. That is the need for purification in the party. And we spend a lot of time and effort trying to, quite frankly, make sure that everybody's perfectly in line with the the hmm, let's call it the in crowd. I I don't think that's a fair way to put it, but just, I mean, I liken it back to high school. You know, everybody wants to be those people. Everybody wants to follow their lead, but that doesn't mean what they're doing is right or wise. So that circular firing squad punishes us. It punishes we, the grassroots the most, the, the, the establishment doesn't really care what we do. Those in office really don't care what we do, but if we're going to keep attacking those people that would otherwise align with us and help us, we're never going to get anywhere. So hopefully, hopefully the outcome of the primary season will bring some of this to light and will cause some people to rethink whether or not we're doing the right things, whether or not we're working to a positive outcome, whether or not we're going to actually accomplish any of our goals if we spend all of our time beating up each other. All right, I guess I don't have anything more to say on that uh, now that... (laughs) All right, number three. Item number three, Trump for the win. Now, I have what I would say is a mixed feeling or relationship about the Donald. I have no doubt that he is going to be our presidential candidate. I have no doubt that he is the best presidential candidate that we have this time around. Well, the best meaning that most likely to win. How about that? That being said, or that being understood, I'm not really sure why we put a lot of weight on what a guy that doesn't live in Texas, doesn't really even visit Texas, notwithstanding his visit to the border, I guess, yesterday or the day before, to tell us who is the best representative and then they, or Senator for that matter. And then they base that upon the information that he got secondhand from the governor or the Lieutenant governor, or perhaps even uh, the attorney general. I'm really not confident that that is a winning strategy. Now, don't get me wrong. That is a shortcut. And we're going to get in that when we get to item number four, but the reality is, is Trump has a, less than stellar track record with his endorsements, whether he endorses the correct person or whether they win. 
I'm not really sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. It probably gets you a little money. It probably gets you notoriety. But at the end of the day, I would like for my preferred candidates to not be reliant on a guy that's running for president, that's really not interested or doesn't care about what happens in Texas proper. Now, perhaps that's wishful thinking on my behalf, if you will, but that's just where I'm coming from. And again, just so we're clear, that's not an attack on the Donald. That's not putting the Donald down. It's just saying that if we have that many voters that are that reliant on a shortcut from the Donald, that's that's an issue. That That's sad, actually. I believe that's one of his favorite terms. All right. And as we're blitzing through these, let me get to item number four. Item number four is why endorsements? Or if you will, do endorsements matter? Well, this is, again, a sticky wicket, right? I have openly said, when it comes to judicial races, there are a number of people I defer to. In other words, I don't know enough about those judges or potential judges and their lawyering skills or their temperament that I feel super comfortable about making those calls. Now, some of the people I defer to are right here in Collin County. Another person I would defer to, of course, is our attorney general because he has a vested interest in how who these judges are and what they do. To a lesser extent, the governor, in my opinion, but <clears throat> the governor does to get to a point. So this is also knowing your strengths and your weaknesses. This is knowing what is it that you're good at and what you're not. So I can defer to that. But when I look at local elections, i.e. municipal races, most of those key off who do you know and who are you connected to, which is where the endorsements become very useful because now it's a shortcut, right? Um, well, I don't know this person from Adam, but this person I do know, this person on the city council, this person on the school board says they're really good and they want them to come join them. So it's a it's a cheat, right? It's, it's a, a signal that you know this person is quality and you want to go support them. We see this occasionally, when the county judge or the sheriff get involved and they endorse somebody running for office. If you doubt me, look no further than um, my friend, Daryl Hill, running for precinct three in the commissioner's court. You know, the guy running against him, let's just say has done some rather unsavory (laughs) and below the belt things to try and unseat Daryl Hill for reasons that mystify me, but be that as it may, the sheriff felt strongly enough that he was being unfairly portrayed, right? That he stepped in and said, hey, no, 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 guys, Daryl's had my back. He's done all the things that I asked him to do within reason. Look, anything in politics, you're always going to ask for everything, knowing that you're going to get a percentage of it. That's just how it is. It's sales, right? I want to sell this to you for $10,000, knowing full well that you're going to settle for $9,000. Mine... Meanwhile, the person that's wanting to buy the car or whatever it is really only wants to spend eight. But if they really want that car bad enough, they'll agree to the terms to get it up to nine. So everybody gets something, right? Everybody gets mostly what they wanted. This is politics. This is the way things work. So it's really interesting when other elected candidates or I should say other elected officials get involved with endorsing other candidates. But it's a cheat. Like, I like this person that serves an office, and I'm trusting that they're picking out the right person for me. We see this all the time. Now, what is very interesting is, like, 
<clears throat> in SD30, you've got an individual that actually, in fact, lives in SD12 running, and the state party doesn't seem to care about this. In fact, the state leadership apparatus actually prefers to have somebody that lives in SD12 run for SD30, and they've gone so far as to endorse him and give him money. So they're trying to ignore the, the laws that they set up that are supposed to govern this. So that begs the question. So if I live in HD 61 and I do, does that mean that I should just go ahead and run an HD 70 two years from now? I mean, if they don't care about Senate district locations, why would they care about house districts? I mean, is this what we're going to come down to? I mean, already right now, at the federal level, if you run for Congress, you don't even have to live in the district you represent. As a matter of fact, most of our congressmen eventually end up moving to D.C. and then just keep a, a place back in their district that they come and visit. The, the federal district is a monstrosity. We don't want to duplicate that in Austin. But essentially, if you're going to allow people to run for a district that they don't live in and they should happen to win and they don't even live in the district they represent down in Austin, what's to prevent them from just going ahead and moving to Austin full-time and go home and visit the district since they already don't live in it? Again, these are things that need to be dealt with, and they're only mildly related to the idea of endorsements and endorsements mattering. But if you live in Senate District 30, and you hear from the governor or the lieutenant governor or Speaker Phelan or whatever, and they tell you, we want this guy, we want this fraudulent person on the ballot to win, and you don't know any better, you're going to potentially vote for him. You're going to get that person in office that really has no business even being on the ballot legally, but because the Republican Party didn't have the stones to do what needed to be done, and because the leadership at the state doesn't really care about the laws that they choose to enforce, this is what we've got. We've talked about this before and the idea of you know, multiple levels of actual justice. The justice for we versus the justice for thee, right? Again, this is why endorsements are both good and bad. Endorsements can be really bad or they can be really good. And again, just because now that I've called somebody a fraud, let me be clear. That is my opinion, being that it hasn't been proven one way or the other in a court of law, because apparently the courts aren't interested in doing the right thing either, in my opinion. Because lest anybody forgot, this show is called According to Callus because the entirety of the show is based on my opinion and my thoughts and my understanding of things. And unfortunately, I have to say that every once in a while just to remind people so I don't get sued. <laughs> All right. Enough with endorsements. All right. Now, item number five. Item number five. Why all the money? Now, again, this is, this is something that shouldn't be but is. What do I mean by that? Ideally, government shouldn't be running in everything about your life. They shouldn't be so involved in people's lives. You should be able to exist in a normal life and really never know the government is there. But in fact, there's very few things that aren't controlled and or regulated by government, some level and sometimes multiple levels. So the reason why all that money is in there is because they control what people, what companies, what organizations can do. And quite frankly, they tilt the board towards certain people. Now you can say it's not fair, but honestly it goes back into the same problem. There's no equal justice, so there's no equal enforcement, right? 
If if you're Sands and you want to bring casino gambling to Texas, well, you just go ahead and buy yourself some state reps. I mean, why not? It's perfectly legal. We we legalize the corruption. And yes, I did kind of sort of borrow that from another podcaster, but I don't think it's an original thought to him. So I'm not going to credit him. No disrespect. But if you're going to continue to legalize the corruption, you should only expect it to happen more. And if there's no consequences for that, of course, you're going to have more. So it's very interesting that when you have a state representative who gets a ton of money from, oh, I don't know, Texans for lawsuit reform or SANS, and they get reelected, that they promptly ignore all the very things that the Republican Party platform says, that the Republican Party that helped elect them says, that all the grassroots that rally around them say, because they're getting their money from somebody else. And the money is really what drives things because you can't run for re-election. You can't run for election proper without the money. But the reason why the money is there is because government controls the outcomes. Government tips the scales. Government doesn't stay neutral. Government doesn't stay out of business. You can't do anything in your private life without government. You can't do anything in your business life without government. The way you would fix this, ideally, in a perfect world, is just to scale back government so far that they can't affect the outcome, that they're not involved in these things, and then the money would go away. They say take the money out and you'll fix it, but no, 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 no. They're going to find ways to keep buying this control. It's got to take away the control from government that's going to take the money out. And people seem to miss that, um, I guess, mostly because they think they're in control now. And if they take the money out, that they'll be able to maintain their control. I mean, if you doubt me, look at what happened when they banned cigarette advertising. Philip Morris, a.k.a. Marlboro, now known as Altria, had a demanding, powerful market share. But when you took away the ability for any of those manufacturers to advertise, well, they're just going to maintain their market share. Now, granted, I don't advise that you should take up that habit. I don't advise that you should partake in their products, but it's, it is what it is. I mean, imagine tomorrow they went and said, you can no longer advertise for automobiles. What do you think would happen? Well, when you watch your TV shows, when you watch the news, Think about who does the majority of the advertising. And what do those companies do? How do they make their money? And how do they get their product to market? Who controls that? Where did those people previously serve often? Do you see that maybe, just maybe, if we were to take that power away from government, it, then some of that money would be less of a problem? Money follows power. Sometimes power follows money, but more often than not, the money follows the power. If you take away the power, if you limit the power, you're going to, by default, limit some of the money. And again, maybe this is wishful thinking. Maybe that ship's already long since sailed and we can't ever take it back. But I'm just asking you to rethink it, right? If the folks down in Austin can't do a lot of things or they're not given that authority because it's been taken away from them, perhaps we won't have people spending couple million dollars to get a part-time state rep elected. Just a thought. <sighs> okay. I, I'm going to wrap that up. We're just short of 20 minutes. I want to jump into this email and I, and I think it's both related and not related. 
it has to do with, you know, the county party and what it is that is involved with it. Okay. So I'm going to leave the names out. It's not hard to figure out who sent this because it's an email that was probably widely spread. And I would say this, the decision, the person that sent the email out made is his alone. I, I, I don't, uh, necessarily want to dicker over that idea. I don't, I don't want to argue it. So there are four questions that are referenced here. And based upon the four questions, that was enough. So question number one, should it be possible to move a bad county chair? Better question is, should it be possible to remove a bad, a bad precinct chair or perhaps both? So right now we do have the ability to deal with a bad county chair. It's a, it's a high bar. It's difficult as it should be. You don't want people being tossed out for transient reasons or having these trumped up things and, you know, people fighting all the time to toss people out because they're not happy about one or two things that has happened. I mean, just look at it this way for reasons unknown to me, there has still been no impeachment proceedings against Biden. Now, if anybody would have potentially deserved an impeachment, which would be the step one of removing a bad president. It would be him. Yet the former president, perhaps soon to be new president, was impeached twice for largely garbage reasons. So the question, should you be able to remove a bad county chair? Well, you have to determine how are they bad? Why are they bad? What did they do that defines bad? And are we talking about legally or just philosophically? So I don't think, I don't one, I don't think that's a fair question. And two, the question is really ought to be, is a vote of no confidence adequate to rein them in? And if we're going to be able to remove a bad county chair, should we be able to not seat a precinct chair? Should we be able to remove a precinct chair that violates or works against the county party? I think that's a better way of phrasing that. But, and I'll tell you, <sighs> I think everybody and anybody ought to be removed from an elected office. It just needs to be that that bar is so high that it just doesn't become a frivolous excuse to toss people out that you're upset about. Okay. Item number two, should we have closed primaries? I would think that something that's been on the platform forever, it'd be hard pressed to find somebody that doesn't think you should have closed primaries. However, I will know, or I will say, I know a few people that I would say are uber good conservatives that don't want to close the primaries. Now they have their reasons, whether or not I agree with them, not really relevant, but let's just say there are arguments to be made that you don't want to close primaries. But the problem is if you don't close the primaries, you have the other party essentially dictating the terms of who gets elected or who wins that primary. And I, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that that's the end of the world. What I am suggesting is we have seen long-term negative effects of letting our primaries be determined by people that are not part of our party. And that includes, there'll be a lot of frauds, fakers that get in there, but it'll make it a, a little bit harder. So to me, uh, close primary should be a, a duh question. All right. Uh, question number three, should the Republican party decide 
who can be on its ballot. Now, this is also a sticky widget here, right? So I think the party should have some control over who gets to claim to be a Republican. But I don't know where that bar is at. I don't, I'm not really comfortable that we create an arbitrary line of who gets to be a Republican. But being on the ballot is a little bit different. And I'm not, again, not entirely sure that there's a good answer for this. Should the executive committee be able to determine that they can't put their name on the ballot? Maybe. Should the party chairman be able to make that determination by themselves? Maybe. Should it be something that is written in law? Well, you've donated to the Democrat Party or Democrat causes within the last five years. In fact, you're a former candidate as a Democrat in the last five years. So because of that, we're not going to allow you to run as a Republican. Now, I have zero problem with people, quote unquote, seeing the light and wanting to switch parties and come and join us and quote unquote, do the right thing. Uh, the party left me. I'm going to go join this party. That's fine. But do we really want those folks to run as candidates? No. But again, if we're looking at a primary and they get to run in a primary and we've got a better candidate or let's say a more legit Republican on that ballot and we actually have closed primaries, then we can weed that out. It can be dealt with in a primary. I guess another way of dealing with it is you could say, rather than having primaries, we can go back to conventions. In a convention, we'll weed out people that aren't real Republicans and toss out bad actors, potentially, and they would have much more control who gets to show up on the ballot. I mean, it's just a thought. I'm not suggesting that it's a perfect solution. But again, it's something we need to consider. I think if a party can't control what their brand is, then they really don't have a brand in the first place. And again, it is much beyond a simple yes or no answer. And I think that the rubric here is overly simplistic and doesn't allow for any nuance because at least three of these four questions are very nuanced. They're not straight up yes or no. And if you give me a yes or no, honestly, I'm likely to answer in a way that's not going to make a lot of these people happy that would be impressed by this rubric because there's too much nuance and I'm not willing to give up that. In any case, uh, last question. Should the Collin County GOP endorse the municipal elections? So I will answer it in more ways than one. Four, 17, and two would be answer number one. That would be our record since we've been endorsed in the last cycle. We got 80% losses essentially. And if that isn't concerning, if that's not problematic to you, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, what is that? Six out of 23. Okay, so 75% were losses, straight up losses. And the other two were in runoffs that we managed to win because at least one of those candidates went crazy. So by that alone, it would show that either we're doing a really bad job of endorsing in municipal elections or there's no benefit to endorse in municipal elections. And again, I've already gone over this so many times, so I'm not going to belabor it too much. So I will say this. Once again, this is a very nuanced answer. 
should we blanket endorse in primaries? Well, I'm sorry, not primaries, excuse me, although that is the next thing they want to do. Let's say, should we blanket endorse in municipal elections? Well, the record tends to bear out that it doesn't work well. Um, we're diluting our brand. And, oh, by the way, where's this money in volunteer network going to show up from? Because we can barely pull it off in the primaries, folks. Pay attention. Now, if we're going to build the brand, if we're going to build the party, maybe potentially this is something that we can do better. But the reality is, is if you're going to endorse in municipal elections, one, there shouldn't be more than one Republican in the race. And I mean real Republicans. And you can argue what that means back and forth. I'm not interested in having that discussion again. And two, it should be a specific race where we can affect the outcome. It should be a specific race where it really matters. It should be a specific race where there's something on the line, where being a good Republican or being a Republican in endorsed candidate is going to matter. It needs to be targeted. It needs to be strategic. It needs to be well thought out and discuss the ramifications because what we've been doing hasn't worked. Now, is it because we're not doing it right? Or is it because what we're doing is just a bad idea? Again, part of a larger discussion, much more nuanced. So again, if you, if you ask me and you only give me an option of yes or no, well, I'm going to tell you, I don't know. And again, going back to 2019, when my name was on the ballot, I told everybody flat out, I am not comfortable with people determining in the party who's the better Republican, who's, who's the real Republican. I said then, and I say again now, we have a ton of clubs, we have a ton of Republican or conservative organizations, let them weigh in, let them determine who's the better, more conservative candidate, let them have some say in this matter. The party can be useful, can be helpful in these matters, but only when it is going to be really worth the risk. A losing record damages your brand. And right now, our brand is damaged. The way forward, I believe, is Shelby Williams. It's not about whether or not I agree with everything that he thinks or says or does. It's not. It's about, do I think he's got the best chance to move us forward and to get a successful organization built? Doesn't mean that I think the other people are bad. No. Doesn't mean I don't like the other people. No. It just means that if you're going to give me a choice, if you're going to give me an option, we have three, that is the only choice that I believe is going to give us a good way forward and is prepared to do it right now. They say when you want to get something done, you ask a busy person to get it done. Well, that's true, but that busy person also knows how to delegate, also knows how to build a team, and also knows how to bring other people in to handle the things that they don't need to be hands-on for. I think Shelby already does that. That being said, if one of the other two should win, so be it. We move on. We go forward. We do what we got to do. The party's bigger than any one person. Ideas survive no matter what. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this five for Friday with the special little bonus at the end here. And until then, I will see you on the other side.